0: When you get invited to a fall wedding, you have two choices. One, you can be soft and complain and say, oh, poor me, and say, oh, but it's fall, oh, but it's football season. Or you can be gritty, you can be a good wedding guest, you can be a good friend, and you can dial in and get the games on a tablet, get the games on your phone. You can find a way. That's what we do here on this show. We find a way. You control your attitude. You control your effort. And that's what we do when it comes to fall weddings. No whining, no complaining. We get after it, regardless of the circumstances on our Saturday afternoon. Welcome to the Hard Count. This is the People's College Football Show. It's college football and only college football every single day of the year. We're glad to have you here on this final thought, final prediction Thursday. We have a ton to jump into. LSU and Auburn are going to predict that one. Miami, North Carolina are going to predict that one. Two big games, especially in the ACC. That's going to have a major impact on the way that conference race shakes out. Miami, kind of in bounce back mode. The North Carolina, they're like over 500 yards of offense a game. We'll give you our thoughts. And Like I said, our prediction in that one, the line is right around three and a half. Curious to see what that looks like when it comes to game time. Uh, I said LSU and Auburn. Auburn really put on a, a pretty solid showing against Georgia. The way that Hugh Freeze schemed it up as we all kind of knew he would eventually at Auburn, just didn't know it would be against Georgia his first year on the job. Uh, They go to Death Valley, and LSU has not played a lick of defense. Line is double digits favoring LSU. You would imagine Death Valley at night is pretty heavily factored into that one because they're allowing like 37, 38 points a game is LSU. Is that one going to be interesting? We'll see. Also, Deion Sanders, a lot of talk around what he's going to do long term at Alabama or at <laughs> Alabama, excuse me, by way of what Terrell Owens said about Colorado eventually being Alabama. If he stays at Colorado, I'm here to tell you, I don't care what happens tomorrow or the next year or whatever. Like Dion at Colorado already in my mind is a smashing success regardless of what they do the rest of the year they are a success because of what dion has done to this point we'll give you our thoughts on that one like i said we also give you our final thoughts and predictions to kind of put a nice bow on the week before week seven as we jump into it to kind of call our shot tell you some things you should look out for and some things that we should talk about as we keep on rolling today is thursday october 12th 2023 the very last october 12th 2023 in the history of the world Okay, so like I said, we're controlling our attitude, our effort, and we're going to talk college football right now because you have a lot going on. You probably have a big weekend lined up. Maybe you have a fall wedding lined up. Maybe you have a big project that's due tomorrow for school or for work. Whatever you got going on, hit the pause button on that. Deep breath in, deep breath out. Let's enjoy this, man. It's college football season. You only get you only get so many fall Saturdays, man. So let's enjoy this one, and let's enjoy this fall Thursday before the fall Saturday. Can't waste too much more time. Every single Thursday, we do this. If you're new around here, we provide an upset forecast for the week ahead. So we're not giving you a prediction. We're giving you a forecast to say, hey, I would keep an eye on this game. Hey, if you had plans for a picnic this weekend, I would keep an eye on the weather. Same thing we're doing here when it comes to the upset forecast. We told you we're going to talk about Colorado a little bit later in this live show. But if we're talking about upsets, Stanford is an 11.5-point dog. And this is a pretty big letdown spot in my mind for Colorado. They went back and forth with ASU last week. It took a game-winning field goal from that Colorado offense to get them in position for that game-winning field goal. where Sanders went into Brady mode and all that. And the thing that I'm looking at in this game is, one, the emotional tank that Colorado has. How full is that? Are they able to gather themselves, get back out there, and find a way to play their best ball against a team that they really should handle? Or is it a situation where... They kind of sleepwalk. Hey, there's a lot of new players. It is a brand new roster that's still trying to find their footing together. What does that look like? Combined with the fact that Stanford's going to want to be physical and run the football, Colorado, it's no secret, haven't been great stopping the run this year. So is Colorado able to kind of hold their own in that one? Or do we see the letdown, lack of physicality, end up being a deal where Stanford is able to control the line of scrimmage, control that game, and control the tempo of the game to where Shadour Sanders doesn't get the amount of possessions you would hope he gets if you're a Colorado fan. So keep an eye on that one. Again, that's on the upset forecast. Just keep an eye on it. And uh, on Saturday, don't be surprised if that box score or that ticker, rather, is showing a score that's a little bit closer than maybe we would have perceived heading into that Saturday. Perceived if you weren't watching this show, that is. Y'all are now in the know. When it comes to Iowa going to Wisconsin. This is essentially like a a Big West championship game, a Big Ten West, rather, championship game. Iowa is just limping in there. No Cade McNamara. The drive to 325 seems to be in jeopardy. Wisconsin starting to catch their tempo a little bit. That loss to Washington State kind of set us off a little bit over here, saying, oh, no, what's Wisconsin going to be? Is Wisconsin not going to be good? Well, no, Washington State's actually just really good, and they lost to a good Washington State football team. Now, here's the thing to watch with this one. Anytime you have a new quarterback in a game, obviously they're the backup for a reason because they weren't the best option for that football team. So that's probably true. But also with Deacon Hill, who's going to be starting for Iowa this Saturday, the beautiful part about this for Iowa is there's not a lot of tape on Deacon Hill out there. So if you're Wisconsin, you're trying to game plan for a quarterback that you really don't have a ton of gauge for when it comes to this upcoming game. So I understand Iowa is you know, 10-point dog and they don't have that firepower offensively, but I'm just saying, don't be surprised if Iowa decides to bow up and play really good defense on the road and this quarterback, Deacon Hill, I'm not saying he's going to light it up, but maybe the unknown factor with him is the edge that Iowa needs to score some points in this ballgame and make it interesting. Would not be surprised if Iowa, with their back against the wall, threw a couple haymakers, and got themselves into this football game and heck maybe even end up winning this football game we'll see but again that is in my mind for the big 10 west for both those teams i think that's the big 10 west more or less championship game and it's week seven of the college football season also for the big 10 west man last time best time last time we're having a game like this before they turn the lights out on divisions in the big 10 In the big 10 as we know it we're going to expand a lot and uh, a lot of expansion all across college football this upcoming season in 2024. We're going to enjoy 2023 though. Another big game and another game that we're going to break down here in just a minute. We'll give you our prediction in a minute, but keep an eye on Auburn at LSU. Auburn is an 11.5 point dog. Death Valley at night. Need I say more? Like the, the sentence itself, that phrase in itself, Death Valley at night, it speaks for itself because you know what, what what that kind of entails it'll be crazy it'll be an incredible environment there will be a fair amount of build-up to that game in baton rouge if you catch my drift when it comes to what's going on outside the stadium but let's not forget what hugh freeze did against georgia him and philip montgomery got in the lab started cooking like Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. They cooked up a tremendous game plan, and they took Georgia by surprise. Do not be surprised if Auburn does the same thing to LSU. And LSU's defense, to be real, man, we know what it is right now. They're allowing 37 points a game. It is not the LSU that we think about when we think about LSU defenses with Patrick Peterson and Tyron Matthew. Heck, even what they were last year. Like, this, this LSU defense is unrecognizable maybe this is the game they draw the line in the sand and say no 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 we're going to turn this thing around starting now we'll see but if Auburn is able to one limit possessions and then two steal a possession or two from LSU and what that offense is able to do could get interesting again we'll give you our winner for that one in just a few minutes here keep an eye on that game could end up being close we have it on the upset forecast for the Tigers also LSU is a. Uh, potentially in a letdown spot here the Ole Miss game probably took several years off your life if you're an LSU fan the Missouri game probably took a couple years off your life you had to go on the road for both of those now you come back home we talked about this with Colorado where's the emotional tank at for LSU I'm excited to see it Louisville at Pitt this one I'm surprised the line is only Pitt plus seven and a half like Louisville's undefeated. Pitt's not very good. They're 1-4 on the year. Like, Why, why is Pitt 7.5 point dogs? I understand they're at home, so maybe that's a thing, but the line to me there is, is setting off the spidey senses a little bit. Also, Louisville, we talk about spots a lot on this part of the program. Uh, it's a big letdown spot for them as well. Emotional win at home against Notre Dame. Statement to the rest of the country. You threw the hard count in the cinematic recap, and we appreciate you for that, but where are they at right now? After a game like that, how do they handle that kind of success? I'm not saying they won't handle it well. I'm saying this line is setting off my Spidey senses. I'm still picking Louisville in that game, if you ask me right now. But I'm curious as to what Vegas knows that maybe we don't know just yet over here. But I guess we'll find out here this coming Saturday. Should be a good spot. So that's your upset forecast for week seven. And uh, we're going to keep an eye on all those games as we keep rolling. Now, I will say this too. Last weekend or last i guess last week during that segment we had georgia tech miami on there georgia tech did in fact upset miami we had ohio state maryland on there and my and maryland ohio state i think that was back and forth i don't know how close it was at halftime but i i want to say it was within one score i understand ohio state ended up pulling away but you're watching that game and you're like hey hang on maryland's really giving ohio state a, a run for their money so just saying keep an eye on those games there's uh there's some merit to what we're doing there all right, now I want to pivot into a good friend of the show and a program that's bringing you the program today, and that's Prize Picks. And Prize Picks, I'll start with this Daily Fantasy. I hadn't played until this year. To this point now, I've had a blast using this every single college football Saturday. And it is, like I said, Daily Fantasy, safe, easy to use, tons of fun. It's different players' projections throughout the week, it's, it's, which is essentially a square, and you put a play together with multiple squares and eventually you can do a a power play or a flex play. A power play is like, hey, we gotta get all these right to make our money. A flex play is if we get a percentage of these right, depending on how many squares you have together, you end up getting a a certain percentage depending on how many you get right. If you get all of them right, you get more out of your entry. If you get less right, you only get a smaller portion. So that will make sense. But with that being said, now Redeem Code JD, 100% deposit match. Up to 100 bucks, but we got some plays for you this week. We got a power play, and we're going to go ahead and aim small, miss small. Shout out Mel Gibson. Shout out the Patriot. We're aiming small, we're missing small on our prize pick plays this week. How's that for an alliteration? First play we like, Roman Wilson. His number is a half a receiving touchdown against Indiana. Y'all, we like the more there. Roman Wilson has eight receiving touchdowns on the year. Going to make it nine. Heck, maybe he'll make it 10 after this weekend I don't know but I like Roman Wilson a lot they'll go to him in the red zone he's difficult to guard one-on-one like with how much they're going to run the football it's going to leave less attention on him he will have a receiving touchdown go ahead and book that one Brian Thomas receiver for LSU he also has that same number half a receiving touchdown He is a one-on-one nightmare and the reality for LSU is Malik Neighbors exists so if you're Auburn defensively pick your poison you want to double cover Malik Neighbors Brian Thomas is getting his we want to double cover Brian Thomas. Malik Neighbors is getting his. Now, the reality is I think they will show more attention to Malik Neighbors by nature of the damage he's done to this point in the year. So expect Brian Thomas to have a moment in this game where he throws his hand up and says, Hey, Jaden, I'm open, brother. Put it up for me. Also, Brian Thomas is just a massive human being, so he will have a touchdown catch in this game. We like them more there. Last one for you. Again, this is a power play, so we got to get all three of these right. Bucky Irving, his number is 113 and a half receiving and rushing yards combined we like the more there we're going to talk more about this game in just a little bit on this program but I'm telling you Bucky Irving will be a massive part of what Oregon does against Washington this coming Saturday whether it's getting him the ball downhill on inside zone or power or they're swinging the ball out to him on the perimeter and he's able to get north and south that way I love that number for him I love the more there so you're saying that's a lot of mores that's a lot of you know uh these guys put out a lot, a lot of production. Like, yes, of course it is, of course it is. We root for these young men to achieve their dreams and have big time moments and big time college football games, and we make no apologies about it. So we like all those for the more. To recap it for you, Roman Wilson half of receiving touchdown more. Brian Thomas half of receiving touchdown more. Bucky Irving receiving rushing yards 113 and a half more. We love it. A power play. That's five extra entry. Again, redeem code JD, 100% deposit match, up to 100 bucks. Get dot in with prize picks and uh, make sure that you get after this play this upcoming weekend. We appreciate y'all for that. All right. Now, it is final prediction, final thoughts Thursday. And with that being said, we got to give you one more. Well, I guess we got two more for you. But one of our game predictions for this final thoughts Thursday, and that is LSU, and Auburn, Auburn is coming to two Death Valley, seven Eastern ESPN, LSU favored by 11 and a half. LSU is rolling right now. They're rolling right now offensively. You had the, the setback against Ole Miss. I understand that. But the way that they responded against Missouri gave me a lot of confidence for the way that they are trending. Now, understand that offense is a big reason why they are playing the way they are. And even the game against Ole Miss, the offense played well enough to win. The defense is the major concern. So my question is now you've had two games where one was a letdown spot for you. I don't know if letdown spot's the right word to use. You had one game where you lost, so kind of knocked you back a little bit. You respond well against Missouri. You go on the road, and you have a close game where it takes a pick six to kind of put you over the edge there. And... They wanted Major Burns to get down, but he didn't, so it is what it is. But like for LSU, how do you handle success now? How do you handle those two emotional games in a row? Because a mature team is going to say, no problem, hit the reset button, come back to Death Valley at night, play a sneaky Auburn team, handle business. That's what a mature football team would do. Now, a, a football team that isn't necessarily at that point competitively would have a letdown here, would say, well, we had two really difficult emotionally charged games. Where are we at? I'm excited to see how they respond. For Auburn, the beautiful part about this game, the beautiful part about this season for Auburn, outside looking in, it's all house money. Like even that game against Georgia, if if Auburn had lost by three touchdowns, nobody would have batted an eye. Nobody would have questioned, is Hugh Freeze the guy? Like there would have been none of that. But the beautiful part now for Auburn, as they have continued to trend in a positive direction, especially from that game against Georgia, we're starting to kind of understand where this thing is headed. So they looked night and day different against Georgia. They had the bye week last week. I'm curious to see how much from that Georgia game, confidence-wise, carries over to this LSU game. Because Jordan-Hare is where they play Georgia. They play LSU out on the road. Like, that's a tough place to play. We all understand that. I think they have a lot of momentum right now with that game behind them and i think that hugh freeze has auburn in a place where they're more competitive than people want to give them credit for to be real they're going to scheme it up they will dial it up i promise you and if they want to be taken more seriously if auburn wants to make a statement let everybody know where this thing is headed you go beat the sec west champs from last year that's on the table now for auburn how do they handle that how do they respond to that this game is going to tell us a lot so we'll break it down right now for you make sure you're subscribed Make sure you're following us right here. Also on the socials, on Twitter, on Instagram, at JDPakel. But this show right now is live three times a week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. want you dialed in so you don't miss a minute of it. We appreciate you in advance for that. Now, the big thing I'm watching here, schematically, is Harold Perkins, all-everything linebacker for LSU from a season to go, against the mobile quarterback play of Auburn. You got Peyton Thorne, you got Robbie Ashford, both did some damage now against Georgia last week, I guess two weeks ago, the last time Auburn played. And they did it in in a read option kind of format. It wasn't just Robbie Ashford and his packages he got at times. It was Peyton Thorne as well, ripping off big gains and breaking contain against Georgia and the way that they blocked that up. Now, the reason why I mentioned Harold Perkins is we're still kind of waiting for Harold Perkins to sort of flex the muscle we saw from last year where he was just causing havoc. He was all over the field. And I understand a lot of that, too, is the way that he's being played at LSU. And some of that might be a Harold Perkins decision. Some of that might be a coaching decision. Regardless, they've played him more at inside linebacker. I think this is the game where Harold Perkins has to make a statement. Because the last couple of times that LSU played mobile quarterbacks a season ago, whether it was Bryce Young, whether it was Malik Hornsby at Arkansas, whether it was Jackson Dart, like Harold Perkins was the answer to that. For Auburn, this is the answer for them in terms of offensive production, is they want to run the quarterback, they want to get you off balance, they want to get you running this way and that way, break, contain, and when you want to try and key on the quarterback, they'll give it to Jarquez Hunter around the edge. Like, that's kind of the, the formula for Auburn. So if Harold Perkins can be that version of what we saw last year against mobile quarterbacks, that's going to limit Auburn tremendously. And that's going to cause them to have issues offensively. And you don't want to have issues offensively against this LSU offense because they will score points in bunches. Like, you cannot spot this LSU offense 10 meters in a track meet because you're not catching them. You're not catching them. So that's the reality. Now, if Auburn's able to have success doing that, something to watch for is the tempo at which Auburn plays. Because if I'm Hugh Freeze and Phillip Montgomery, I say, okay, if we're having success running the football, Let's take as much time off that clock as possible. Let's do the opposite of what I was just referring to. Let's limit the number of possessions that LSU gets, make this thing low scoring, try and take the crowd out of it, make it ugly, make it messy, and we'll get out of here with a dub. That would be a potential situation. I'm not saying this matchup 100% equates one way or the other, but it definitely has a big impact on the tempo of this game, and I'm curious to see how that ends up shaking out for either side. Now, the other thing I want to watch here is Jaden Daniels, quarterback for LSU, getting some Heisman love, deservedly so. He has been balling, been throwing the ball all around the yard, dealing the pill like a shady pharmacist, for those of y'all that are friends of the show. Jaden Daniels handling the pressure of this Ron Roberts defense. Now, Ron Roberts, defensive coordinator for Auburn, they are going to dial it up. Okay, they, they are going to make sure they get after number five. Now, the thing with pressure is a little bit curious because it's kind of a high-risk, high-reward scenario for you. The reward is if you get home and you're able to force him off his game. Like, at best, maybe you, you force some, some negative plays if you're Auburn. Or, excuse me, if you're LSU. Now, at worst, if you're LSU, and at best, if you're Auburn, you force some turnovers. You force extra possessions for your defense. You, you force Jaden Daniels to have to watch a portion of this game because it goes back to the Auburn offense. So that would be obviously a more extreme scenario. But if, if they don't get home, you leave yourself a little bit more exposed because anytime you're applying pressure, typically you're bringing a linebacker or a safety or any number of positions, I suppose. And when you do that, there's probably some real estate behind wherever that blitz is coming from. And I understand that there's a, you know a, an assignment for whoever Position to fill wherever that pressure was coming from. There's supposed to be an answer on the on the back end of it, but for that split second, if you're a step ahead as Jaden Daniels in this LSU offense of where that pressure's coming from, you diagnose it quickly, you get the ball out in a hurry, there are some playmakers for LSU that will make Auburn pay. Also, if you're going to do pressure, you probably have a one-on-one matchup somewhere else across the board here, whether it's Malik Nabors, whether it's Brian Thomas, somebody's going to get theirs. So keep an eye on that how Jaden Daniels handles that will, will be a very, very big variable in terms of how this game plays itself out. Now, when it comes to the non-negotiables in this game for Auburn, we got to talk about those. Because anytime the spread is a double-digit spread, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you, hey, LSU, they've got some things they like in this football game. No, duh. Vegas knows that. That's why they have them been 11 and a half favorites. The non-negotiables for me when it comes to Auburn, they need to, one, take away some part of LSU's offense just limit them in some way, shape, or form. Ideally, it would be the running game. Now, it's a a big task, but if you can limit the running game in an honest fashion, meaning you don't have to bring consistent pressure to stop Logan Diggs or stop Jaden Daniels, and you can just play really assignment sound football against LSU, you get more attention on the back end, and you don't have to play quite as much man coverage with a Brian Thomas or a Malik Neighbors or a Mason Taylor or whoever it ends up being. So being able to have more resources dedicated to the pass game is predicated on having enough with the honest look that you have defensively up front, if that makes sense. We don't want to cheat if we're, if we're Auburn. We, we have to play them honest up front and make sure we don't give up that big play on the back end. That would be a world you would want to live in. So limiting the run game is non-negotiable number one. Other part of that, we've talked about it a few times already. I think there has to be extra ammo somewhere in the chamber here for Auburn. And when I say extra ammo, you got to find a way to have more possessions than LSU. And that's not an uncommon non-negotiable for us when it comes to a situation like this where a team's a double-digit dog on the road. But like, if I'm Hugh Freeze and I'm Philip Montgomery, let's throw the kitchen sink out there, baby. Like, house money. Nobody's defining Auburn from this game if they lose. Let's go for the onside kick. Surprise onside to start the second half. Let's do the fake punt. Let's let's go for two, let's do the fake field goal, all those things. Like there needs to be some way, shape, or form where Auburn is able to get an extra possession. And I mean, maybe that's the defensive side of things. Maybe that is going back to the Ron Roberts aggressive style of play and getting a turnover and forcing Jaden Daniels into throwing a bad interception or into a strip sack, whatever it ends up being. There has to be more bullets for Auburn than what LSU gets offensively. So we'll keep an eye on that. Now, when it comes to this game, though, here's my deal. Like, I have a very difficult time watching LSU offensively these last two weeks and then seeing them come back home to Death Valley and not a Death Valley day game, Death Valley at night and saying, yep, they're going to kind of slow down. I just, I see LSU offensively continuing to ramp up. I like Auburn long-term. I like what Hugh Freeze is doing there. I even think they give them a pretty good showing offensively does Auburn. I don't think the LSU just fixes all their problems defensively this week. I think Auburn and Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery dial it up in a very big way. But even with that being said, I don't think you can keep pace with what Mike Denbrock and Jaden Daniels in this offense are doing right now. So we like LSU to win. I would not touch the spread, to be real with y'all. LSU defense gives me too much concern to touch this spread. So I would go with LSU final score. I'll pick it 41-28. But again, touch that spread at your own risk. We like that final score. I'm not touching the spread. So we like LSU to take care of business in Death Valley second week in a row now for LSU where they play a team called the Tigers how about that that's why we love college football huh never never in the NFL will that happen never will you get two mascots of the same name playing in in the same game much less the team that has that mascot name play them in back-to-back weeks gotta love it you gotta love it hey make sure you like the video. We are charging right along towards 30 shows in a row of 100 likes before we get off the air. If everyone who's watching right now clicks that little thumbs up icon under the picture, be well over 100. So we appreciate y'all in advance for doing that. I know y'all will. So just quick call to action. Thank you in advance for getting that done. And uh, the party keeps on rolling. Now, speaking of a party, Colorado has been the story of the college football season. We all understand that. And... There's a lot of talk around what Deion Sanders will be at Colorado long-term, and that's fair to speculate because he attracts a ton of talent. He's arguably the greatest of all time when it comes to defensive backs in the NFL. Like he, His name in itself will bring talent to Colorado, but I want to talk about where Colorado's at right now because I think regardless of what he does next season, I think his time at Colorado can already be defined as, as a success. I really do. And and Terrell Owens on some platform the other day said that he thinks Colorado will be Alabama eventually if Deion Sanders decides to stay there. I'm not really going to touch that conversation too much, but that's kind of the long-term vision some people are having for Deion Sanders. I think he's already a success. I'll talk about it right now. Make sure you're subscribed right here to the On3 YouTube channel, College Football, every single day. No additives, no no high-fructose corn syrup, nothing. Nothing you don't care about when it comes to college football. Just ball, only ball, and guess what? Every single day of the year. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram as well, at J.D.Pickell. So let's be clear about this for Deion Sanders. The mission for him in year one at Colorado was to establish momentum, right? To to show there's proof of concept, to, to show that this thing is going somewhere, and quite frankly, all those things combined so that they would just minimize risk for elite talent to choose Colorado. Because at first, Deion Sanders is like, hey, he's coming from Jackson State. He's never been a a Power 5 head coach before. Colorado was 1-11. He's doing all this through the portal. Like, is this going to work? Like, that was genuinely, I think, not just our question on the outside looking in. I think it was a lot of people's questions when they were being recruited by Colorado or if they were in the portal and considering Colorado. It was like, hey, what am I committing to? Because we've never seen anything like this in the history of the sport to overhaul an entire roster. To bring a coach in that's an NFL Hall of Famer. I mean, Deion Sanders is a one-of-one, man. Like, There's nothing you can comp Deion Sanders to when it comes to other Power 5 head coaches. There's other coaches with star power. There's no one that's even close to the charisma or brand power that Deion Sanders has. And we've seen that in spades so far with what Colorado has been. So he's kind of established that momentum already. I mean, heck, look at the viewership. Look at how visible Colorado is. Like, we got College Game Day coming to town. For a game against Colorado State, it wasn't like Colorado was playing somebody for you know, college football playoff implications or it was going to be you know, deciding the Pac-12 or whatever. Like, it, it was Colorado State. It was a group of five school playing Colorado. You got College Game Day in town. You got the Pat McAfee show in town. You know how many eyeballs were on Colorado, especially early in the year and continuing this year? like how relevant they are now, I think that in itself speaks volumes to where he's pushed this brand to. Because in the day of NIL and the transfer portal, that matters. That matters, and I cannot stress that enough. In the talent acquisition age, to be a visible program, to be cool, to have some, some brand value to you, they're breaking viewership records. Colorado's got over a million followers on their football Instagram page. It's them and I think Alabama and Ohio State that have that many followers. Like the visibility of Colorado is night and day different from when Deion Sanders got there to where they are now. And again, that's a credit to him and that's a smashing success and it sets a tremendous foundation for what they're going to be going forward. And I think what they're going to be going forward and what they are right now, like we talk about Colorado last year, 1-11. in You know how many times I thought about Colorado and I'm guessing you thought about Colorado? in 2022, like intentionally, probably zero, unless you're living in Colorado or in Denver or in Boulder, like you probably did not think one time about Colorado football and they weren't competitive. Wasn't a factor in the college football landscape. And right now is Colorado like a tier one PAC 12 school? No, probably not. Are we talking about them being in the college football playoff? No, but they have a competitive factor to them and they're going to be in that conversation to make a bowl game think about that from 1-11 to over under three and a half wins in Vegas to now being in the conversation to make a bowl game and to that be a serious conversation Andy Staples and I talked before the season even started on this very show and said if Deion Sanders gets them to a bowl game build the statue right now it was tongue-in-cheek but if we're being honest like at this point in time forget the statue but what he's done at Colorado you can already define as a success And so I think that the deal now is Colorado matters in the college football landscape. Going back to what this all centers around, talent acquisition and building for the future and all that, like they're already successful right now because of what he's done there to this point. Colorado previously didn't matter in the college football landscape. Now they do. And I think the reason why is is obviously, you know, Deion Sanders and the cool factor. And like Deion Sanders has made Colorado into the Tesla of college football yes, there's, there's other known commodities out there. There's Alabama, there's Georgia, there's Ohio State. You got your BMWs, your Ferraris, your Porsches. But why do people still continue to buy Tesla like it's going out of style? Because it's cool. Because people want to be on the cutting edge of something. And that's what Deion Sanders has made Colorado into. Is it the same proven commodity as those other schools? No. But kids are taking an extra look at colorado because they want to be a part of something that's new that's cool that's cutting edge and that's going to be i think trending in a very positive upward direction for the next couple of years that's where they're at right now and i'll make this very clear too like you don't buy tesla if the car sucks you don't got you, you don't go to colorado if you're not going to win any football games yeah it's cool that you have some juice on social media it's cool you got the handles on the back of the practice jerseys that Deion Sanders is your head coach, but if you're not winning football games, if that thing's a dumpster fire, nobody's going to Colorado. He has effectively provided, again, proof of concept and made it no discussion that Colorado, at the very least, will win some football games. It's only year one. And on the outside looking in, people like me are saying, hey, he's already successful. I promise you, Deion Sanders, he's already said he does not tolerate mediocrity. And I think a bowl game in his mind is mediocrity. And I think the longer he stays there, they're going to continue to, to get tremendous talent. They're going to continue to, I think, solidify their internal culture and standards and all those things. And once they start getting to a point where they're not going to the portal as heavily and they start to draw more from the high school level consistently and probably like year two, year three, I'm just saying, look out. Again, whenever that happens, great. But I'm telling you, Colorado is a success right now. But the hardest part of gaining momentum is that first push, right? That, that first push of that heavy tire kind of takes a little bit extra, kind of takes a little bit of, little bit of oomph factor. Once it gets rolling, though, you just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and, and it gets a little bit easier. And the momentum starts to pick up. So that's, I think, where Colorado is headed. But again, I cannot stress this enough. Deion Sanders and what he's done at Colorado to this point, in my mind already, a huge success for Coach Prime and company. So, again, they play Stanford this week. We'll see how that goes. They could win that game. They could, lo- they could lose that game. In my opinion would not change. But we'll talk about it, so make sure you dial it in over here. And uh, we appreciate you all in advance for that. Got another game prediction to talk about for you all here. Big one in the ACC. Big one in the ACC. We got Miami at North Carolina. North Carolina is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I want to start with Miami, though, because for Miami, there's been so much said about them this past week. I mean the whole deal with they didn't take a knee against georgia tech and they fumbled the football they end up losing the game i think with punchline culture and with people being so quick to play twitter head coach and say well i would have taken a knee well okay that's great well you weren't the head coach you didn't make that call was it the right call to take a knee yeah 100 percent no way around it but right now i think we're kind of forgetting that miami could have won that football game pretty easily again you take a knee Miami's undefeated. This game probably has more juice. Why are we forgetting that about Miami? Why are we just imagining that they're somehow a bad football team because they made one bad call and lost a football game they were supposed to win? I'm not, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying I think Twitter has kind of poisoned our view of what Miami actually is. So this is their chance now. This is kind of the, the, their get-right game, their bounce-back game against a really good opponent in North Carolina. Because for North Carolina now, they got to feel like this is the year. Tez Walker is eligible. Drake May is arguably the best player in college football, not named Caleb Williams, Brock Bowers, Marvin Harrison Jr. Like he's right up there in that conversation. I think they have a a feeling right now of the way the ACC is shaping up and the way that they're starting to play on the defensive side of the football. The time is now. The time is now. And that's great for it to be there conceptually and hypothetically and for it to be there on paper, but to follow through on it, it starts in a game like this with Miami coming to town so one thing I'm watching in this game right off the bat we talked about it Drake May no drama drizzy as I call him on here Uh, the aggressive safety play of Miami how does he end up dealing with that that matchup is going to be crucial because if you watch Miami at all their safeties get downhill with bad intentions like they get their keys and they trigger quickly and that's great if you get home and you make the play but if you don't there's probably a fair amount of real estate behind you if you trigger too quickly and you trigger on the wrong thing and it's a play action and we got Tez Walker deep in the end zone, touchdown North Carolina. So is, is Miami able to play that with integrity and not get duped by North Carolina and Drake May? And also a subplot within this, Drake May and what he does with his legs. I mean, people talk a lot about Drake May and his arm and there's a ton of reason for that. But you turn on the tape and watch number 10, man. He is slippery. He is a true dual threat quarterback. And we saw last week for Miami, Haynes King and his dual threat abilities that put Miami in conflict, especially on the back end a couple of times. Like whenever he breaks contain and you get in this position as a second and third level defender where it's like he could tuck it and run and pick up some yards that way. Or if he peels back and decides to throw the football deep, well, that's a big play as well. So whenever you're in conflict, how Miami handles that is going to tell us a lot. And how Drake may handles that is going to tell us a lot other thing I'm watching here, Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback for Miami, against the defensive coordinator for North Carolina, Gene Chizik. Now, Georgia Tech, I thought, did a really good job against Miami of deceiving Tyler Van Dyke. And some of this, too, was decision-making by Tyler Van Dyke. He put the ball in harm's way, threw a few interceptions. But the reason why this is so crucial to me, if Miami is able to stay on schedule, and they're able to just kind of check down and play the kind of style of football they want to play where they get downhill and run the football at you and stay balanced, that's going to make the picture a lot more digestible for Tyler Van Dyke and how tricky North Carolina is able to be. But if North Carolina is able to do what Georgia Tech did and force Tyler Van Dyke into making some bad decisions and giving them some extra possessions, you just, you can't give Drake May more ammunition and expect to win the football game. You can't. You can't. There cannot be a situation where North Carolina has more possessions than Miami and Miami wins the football game. That would be very surprising to me is what I'll say there. The subplot within this now is the quick game with Miami because if you watch what they did against Georgia Tech, it was a lot of Xavier Restrepo in space. Hey, tight end, let's run the, let's run the, uh, the ball route where you essentially run 8 to 10 yards and line up directly over the football right in the line of sight for Tyler Van Dyke. Let's go get north and south. What they're able to do after the catch... I think we will we'll really have a large impact on this game. And what they do after the catch is directly correlated to how Gene Chizik and this defense are able to tackle. Now, Gene Chizik obviously won't do any tackling in this football game. Likely, we'll see. I mean, I think the over-under on him is probably less than a half tackle. But with that being said, being able to get Xavier Restrepo on the ground for a five-yard game when he catches it at five yards and not have it be Xavier Restrepo for 12 to 13 yards after a five-yard catch is going to be crucial because if Miami, again, can stay on schedule and can soften up that defense, then they get to do what they really want to do, which is run the football. Five and a half yards of carry is what Miami is at right now. Right in line with what Mario Cristobal wants to do. He's an offensive lineman. That's what he was in college. I think that's his identity. I think that's this this team's identity. And I say this a lot on here when it comes to coaches, man. Like You can't change where you're from. And I'm not talking about geographically. I'm talking about you can't change where you're from from a football background. Mario Cristobal being an offensive lineman, physical identity. He comes from a physical background when he played. He wants to be that same way as a football team. He wants to get downhill. He wants to run the football. Probably a big reason why he didn't take a knee. He wanted to be aggressive and wanted to impose his will on Georgia Tech, and they paid the price for it. But in this game, I think that's going to be the same approach for, for Miami in terms of getting downhill, playing Smash Mouth, and testing this North Carolina defense. So when it comes to this game and what the, the biggest differentiator, or excuse me, the biggest differentiating factor is for me, I think it comes down to who can handle the spot the best. Because for North Carolina, we talk about the time being now and all they got available to them. Like, there's real pressure for North Carolina. The ACC is starting to line itself up to where, okay, Clemson's kind of down. Okay, well, we'll see what, you know, it's, it's Louisville and you got Duke still on the schedule. You play Duke, like I said, a little bit later in the schedule. We'll see what Louisville is long-term in terms of if you have to play them in, in the ACC title game. But like, for North Carolina, it's starting to become a reality where everything you talked about is now available to you. Do you tense up when that moment comes? Or is it like, hey, we're ready to go. Let's handle this business. Yeah, we got Miami coming in here. We don't care. It's us. It's our quarterback. We feel good about what we have here. And for Miami, we talked about it a lot already. The way they handle all that was said about them this past week. Mario Cristobal with the greatest coaching blunder of all time. Well, old Miami. Well, they just totally snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Like, we've heard it all. We understand that. It's fine. Like, there's going to be a lot of talking. Are they able to come together and pack it in and say, okay, well, right now, boys, we're in the foxhole. Right now, there's a lot being said about us. How do we handle that? Do we come together? Or is it a thing where point fingers? We point fingers at the coaching staff. And that's very, very evident very early on in a football game, how together a football team is. I'll just say this. I think Miami responds. I think Miami is going to take away the run game from North Carolina. I think they put the ball." and the game on Drake May's shoulders I think Drake May is a tremendous talent I think he's special I think he gets his plays and his shots in this game but even so I think the running game of Miami and the way they're going to be able to control the tempo of this football game I think Miami wins this football game I think they win 33-24 and I think we come out of this game saying okay the culture at Miami is not just new from what it was previously at the U but it's real There's a real edge to this football team. There's a real sense of pride to this football team in Coral Gables that we haven't really seen them have in a minute. So again, we like Miami to win that game on the road, bounce back fashion, statement fashion, whatever kind of label you want to throw at it. I think Miami gets it done and uh, they stay on track or they get back on track rather in the ACC. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, man. I cannot wait to see how they respond in that game. That game is going to have a lot of juice to it. Arguably the best quarterback in the country. I know Caleb Williams probably has that title, but also some really good quarterback play from Tyler Van Dyke. We'll see. Hey, get get your uh, your thoughts and your questions in right now to Nick. Break the keeper of the queue. We got one more segment for you, and then we're going to get to what y'all think about this week. So give me your takes, give me your thoughts. Heck, hit us with your questions. Whatever is on your heart when it comes to college football, want to hear from that right now. So. We're going to give you our final thoughts here for week seven, as we do every single Thursday, our final thoughts, final predictions, and this, this final predictions label isn't necessarily picking a game. I'm just kind of telling you what I think is going to happen within these games. And I think the the first thing we got to talk about here is Tennessee and Texas A&M, a win for Tennessee is going to require Josh Heupel to just get in his Duffy. Like to, to, to be absolutely in his bag. Like a grocery store clerk is what we need from Josh Heupel because Texas A&M up front, they do a tremendous job stopping the run. Allowing 2.6 yards a carry. That's good for top five in the country. Tennessee, a lot made about them throwing the ball downfield and the vertical attack, but like they want to pound the rock. They're a run first football team. We went up to Neyland Stadium and saw them play South Carolina and that was an edgy physical football team in the trenches. That's who they want to be. The reason why i emphasize the importance on josh heupel is i think for texas a&m personnel wise you can't play them straight up i don't think you say our guys versus your guys we like our guys better we're gonna win because of that i think they have too much talent and too much size on the interior there so it becomes a matter of okay if you want to run the football can you do some things to throw them off balance schematically to still run the football how you want to or is it a thing where we just say okay we can't run the ball today Joe Milton, the game is now in your hands. So for Josh Heupel, we got to dial up open shots downfield, hopefully. I mean, in a perfect world, you would get some vertical shots downfield. But even more realistically, we got to create some easy, open, quick game for him. I'm oversimplifying it a little bit, but I'm saying pre-snap, get us something that we know without a shadow of a doubt. We can get the football to these two options. Okay, so just kind of getting him comfortable, get him into the game. Mellow out that front seven. And then maybe we go back to the run game. Maybe it's a pass to run kind of situation if we're Tennessee. But a Tennessee win, I wholeheartedly believe, would require Josh Heupel doing what Josh Heupel does to be real and calling a tremendous offensive game plan. Goes without saying, every single game you play if you're Tennessee, Josh Heupel has to call a tremendous game. But I think especially in this one, with what they have up front, that'll be extra important. Now on the other side of things for A&M, I think this is the kind of game where you need to involve Evan Stewart. Because Evan Stewart, he's been dinged up. He's been a little bit quiet the last couple of weeks. But this is the game in a spot like this where you need to win it for Texas a and You're on the road. It's going to be a raucous environment. I mean, like I said, we, we were there a couple of weeks ago. That place will be berserk. You need your ballers to be ballers. And you're on the road like I already talked about you're looking to avoid your second straight loss perhaps most importantly you're playing with a backup quarterback Max Johnson I trust him but at the end of the day he is still your backup quarterback can you be the safety blanket for him can you be the guy that we're that we're feeding when we get pressure because we know Evan Stewart's going to win his matchup and I think for Bobby Petrino one of the things we talked about when he got to AM was his whole philosophy feed the studs hey that was your objection right if you're an a fan we don't get the ball to our best players nearly enough a season ago. This year, that's changed. In this game, I want to see Evan Stewart be that guy. I think he is your most talented receiver. There's a great case for a lot of other guys, but I think he is ultimately the person who needs to see the football consistently. And quite frankly, a, a pretty high volume of targets for him is what I would expect and hope for if I'm an am an AM and m fan. Tennessee gets after the quarterback a fair amount as well. I would dial up some short-range stuff for, uh, for Evan Stewart to be able to, to get him the ball in space. Really good jump ball. I think he's also pretty dangerous with the ball in his hands after the catch as well, so we'd love to see that. Now, this is kind of our, our prediction call for you here when it comes to final thoughts and predictions. Those two are final thoughts. This is more of a prediction for the Oregon-Washington game. If you've watched the show for any length of time, you know I am... Fairly high on Dan Landing and the way that he does things, and the way that Oregon's a complete football team. Like I think this is the game where we leave after watching them play. Play. Uh, excuse me. I think this is the game we leave Oregon after watching them play Washington in Seattle, and we are just all convinced. Like, okay, Oregon is the new bully in, in the West Coast. Oregon is the bully in the Pac-12. And I'm not saying that to say that Washington won't still score points and they won't still throw the ball downfield and have some success there. I just think when we turn on the broadcast and you watch the way that line of scrimmage moves, especially when Oregon has the football, I would be surprised if we don't see Oregon move that line of scrimmage the majority of the time two to three yards in their favor. Because that's the way they've built this thing to this point. That's what they've looked like against lesser competition. Quite frankly, that's the way that Washington has looked against lesser competition. They've allowed four yards of carry. Oregon is averaging six yards of carry. They're going to impose their will. And we're going to leave saying, okay, Oregon's going to be a force the rest of the way. Do we see this matchup twice? I don't know. But I think we leave saying Utah was the bully in the Pac-12. They seem to be kind of finding their footing still right now. Oregon's that bully this year because of how they're built, because of who their head coach is, heck, because of what they have at the quarterback position, too. I think that's the way that he operates, too. I don't I don't think he's a guy that just is out there being a, a soft quarterback and wants to just drop back and throw the football. You watch the way Bo Nix plays, fiery, competitive. He gets downhill when he runs the football. Like This whole team embodies that persona of having an edge and being physical. And it's not just going to be on the line of scrimmage. I think you can watch it on the perimeter, too. Because the way that Oregon operates... If you look at the percentage of their run to pass in terms of play calls, they're actually a little bit more heavy on the pass side of things. And the way that they're going to operate this game, I would expect they'll run the ball more than we've seen previously, but also they're going to attack with the bubble screen. They'll attack with the perimeter passes and they're going to bully Washington on that side of the ball as well, at that position as well, with their receivers taking pride in blocking, getting north and south. So we're calling our shot there. I think Oregon does bully Washington. And I think we can turn on the tape and see it pretty clearly with how they operate. Now for USC against Notre Dame, we got another uh, another thought here. This to me feels like a culture-proving kind of game for USC. Like, if if not now, then win for USC. We've talked about the game against Arizona. It was triple OT. It was a look spot. It's Arizona. Like, game against Colorado. Okay, well, it's Colorado. And you were up in that game. I understand you had to re- recover an onside kick to win the game. But like, really had that game won a little bit more handily than what the final score ended up being. This is the game where we got to find out who you are if you're USC. You've had multiple weeks now to build to it. It's no secret what Notre Dame's going to do. They're going to line up in double tight ends. Audrick Estime is going to get the football and come downhill at you, and you got to stop it. This is the game we, we, we figure out who they are and what they want to be. Because this is a game where there's no guessing, and it feels like to me similar to how Georgia played Kentucky last week, the mission was clear. We knew Kentucky was getting downhill at Georgia. Same thing for Notre Dame. We know they're going to get downhill against USC. That is what they're going to try and do. Can USC stop it? I don't know. But if they have some pride about themselves, if they have a little bit of that bad intentions about themselves, they have an edge about themselves, we'll see them put up a fight. I'm not asking USC to just outright stop the run. I think that's a pretty tall order. But we'll see a little bit more fight from this USC team that I don't know that we've seen just yet. And what it'll take in my mind is someone in that locker room drawing a line in the sand and saying, nope, we're not going that way anymore. We're going this way. If you're with me, get behind me. Let's keep going this way. But if you're not, get out of here. And I don't know if it'll be quite as extreme as, you know, players leaving the team. I'm just saying you're going to see a very clear, if they stop somebody running the football, leader and followers go in that direction, okay? so. I'm just saying, draw a line in the sand kind of game for USC. Either get with us or don't get with us for USC. Like, that's the kind of game in that locker room where I would love to see them rally together, point one direction, and get after it. So, we'll see. There, there's a reason you brought Bear, Bear Alexander there. There's a reason you brought Jack Sullivan there. There's a reason you brought Anthony Lucas there. It's for games like this. Would love to see them lead that charge in this football game. So, Those are our final thoughts and predictions for week seven. Curious to hear y'all thoughts in the comment section. If you're tuned in live right now, get in the live chat, one of the benefits of being tuned in live is being able to contribute and communicate and be a part of this in real time. If you're on podcast, go ahead and leave a a review in the comment section there too and leave a review and and, uh, let us know what you think about that as well. Looking forward to hearing from y'all. All right, now got one ad read to get to right now. And as we're doing this ad read, would love y'all to get in the comment section or the the live chat section rather and let us know uh your thoughts questions concerns as we will welcome on the man that met the legend nick break here in just a second before we do that though i want to let y'all know that the hard count is brought to you by hello fresh now what is hello fresh with hello fresh you get farm fresh pre portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorsteps and you skip the trips to the grocery store, and you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, and that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Now, when you get HelloFresh, you know you're getting top-notch produce in less than seven days. Like, it's not a thing where you get it, and it's kind of suspect looking, you're like, I don't know if this is still good, kind of smells funny. We got HelloFresh delivered to our house, my wife and I did, and it was phenomenal. We had some salmon. And salmon, y'all know, you, you can tell right away if salmon's no good. If salmon's not good, it, I mean, there, there's no faking it. It's like stopping the run. If you can't do it, we figure out pretty quickly. Salmon was great. Meal was great. And it was so nice just to come home, throw it together with all the ingredients that we already had. Didn't have to go to the grocery store and figure out how to piece it all together and do this big experience. It was like HelloFresh. Got it to our doorstep, put it together, made a great meal. And uh, like I said, it was phenomenal and would recommend it. To all of y'all. Now, so to get this done, here's what we got to do. Go to hellofresh.com slash 50JD and use code 50JD. And here's the deal for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. So go to hellofresh.com slash 50JD, use code 50JD for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. This is America's number one meal kit. Less Roll, we appreciate HelloFresh being a part of that, being a part of the, the, the hard count, that is, and being a part of what we're doing here. HelloFresh, man, good people. You don't want to go to the grocery store during college football season, man. You don't, you don't want to go to the grocery store between your noon game and your 3.30 Eastern game. Just have HelloFresh, dial in, let's have a great college football Saturday. So to hear y'all's thoughts on what's going on with college football Saturday, we got to bring in the man, the myth, the legend, producer of the hard count, keeper of the queue, Nick Brake. Hey, Nick, I want to hear the people's thoughts. Before we Mm -hmm. get to that, though, I want to hear about the kickball game last night. We have not talked about it since we got in the studio. I actually said when I walked in the studio, hey, I want to hear about it. I want to wait until we're on the air. How did it go last night? The people have been chanting and clamoring Mm -hmm. since we got off the air yesterday.
1: Um, Well, I can't imagine that being true, but uh, I'll make this quick to get some, some questions. My kickball team last night, the league I'm in, my neighborhood, we're down five in the last inning. Come back, we tie the game. Ends in a tie. I know you football fans think that in in a tie is crazy. I'm a soccer fan, so I was pretty pretty happy with a tie, considering our circumstances. I um, was able to bat three for three. Okay, three for three. I had a pretty good game.
0: I don't. Hey, I don't know why you say you football fans. You're you're part of this, Nick.
1: You're part I, of this. Look, I am a football fan. Yeah, but, you're dialed in. But the whole anti-tie culture. A tie can mean so many things, and I think they're quite interesting and fascinating. Um, I do have a question from John. Is Nick left or right-footed? I'm left-footed, John. Uh, although, if I do, uh, I do kind of switch hits sometimes. Uh, okay. Just just on the circumstance.
0: Okay. Interesting. Left-footed. I mean, that's a that's, uh, – see, I told you that people care. Yeah. People want to know how Nick Brake is doing at the plate. Hey, well, so is, is a tie set us up okay for the conference standing? It does
1: quite well. That's why I was okay. pretty happy with it. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, we
0: don't support ties. We support you. How about that? Support we'll you. That. support you going three for three. That's, what, that's yeah. what we're here for. Yeah, absolutely. I love
1: that. I appreciate it. Um, so this gets some questions. How's that sound, J.D.? Sounds phenomenal, brother. Okay, my friend. Uh, it's Surf. Ask J.D., are you expecting Colorado to be improved or to improve their defense and offense more, uh, or, excuse me, better than the previous games after Deion Sanders' recent press conference comments? Um, to be honest, I don't.
0: I don't and it's not because I don't trust Dion I don't trust the staff like football is is a funny game in the sense that like over the course of a season you kind of find out what you have personnel wise and it was kind of like TCU and Georgia in the national title last year TCU did not have the guys TCU did not have the guys to match up with Georgia on the line of scrimmage now do they have other ways where they could have made that game more competitive sure but at the end of the day You can't fake if you have the big human beings or not. And right now, Colorado does not. Now, over the course of the next couple of years, if Deion Sanders stays there, I would imagine that that will be priority number one, two, and three, is to get those big boys, because that's how you go and compete for real hardware when it comes to December and and early January. So I don't think it'll improve. I think it kind of is what it is at this point in time. If you can find a way to game plan around it, great. But you can only put so much lipstick on a pig, Nick. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's kind of what it is right now, man. You can live with it. it.
1: You can put as much lipstick on a pig as you want, but, I mean, is it going to help? Still bacon, (laughs) man. Still bacon. Uh, Thank you very much, It's Surf. Um, Next question, J.D., got one from Timothy. Which group of five team has the best chance of making a New Year's Six bowl game? And, J.D., before you answer that, I'm going to go one further. Um, Which group of five team do you think, if the 12-team playoff format, which includes a group of five team, next season was in effect this year, who are you choosing?
0: Oof. This is a good one. I lean Tulane right now. I lean Tulane. I would have to check their schedule and what they have the rest of the way. But I told a, a friend of the program, Coach Peterson, who was my high school coach and is now at Air Force, we'd show Air Force some love. Hey, Air Force making some noise. Air Force double-digit favorites over Wyoming this week. I could see Air Force being a team that if they were to somehow find themselves into that you know, best group of five team, I don't think you want a game plan for the triple option in a New Year's Six Bowl. Or in you know any capacity to be real, so I'll lean lane, Hat tip to Air Force, and uh, those are the two that I'll watch for as we uh, as we get closer and closer to uh, mm-hmm. to that whole bowl season going on.
1: Jay, I love this next question. Um, this is something Dan Patrick talks about a lot. I'm um, actually talked a little bit about it with our with our very own Andy Staples a couple weeks ago oh, okay, on his go. show. Joshua Hinkle says, "What do you think about a relegation system like the Premier League or FBS and FCS from Power Five to non-Power five? in college football? I know you're not going to agree because sure. you don't like changes in college football. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think it, it's interesting in the sense
0: of professional sports. My big question is, I think you just bury the little guys. Like if you are a team that gets relegated, well, you still then have to go and recruit. And it's difficult to sell a kid on, hey, we're, we're relegated right now. Maybe by your junior year, we'll be back to playing at Power 5 football. Like I think that would be very very difficult whereas in the professional level it's like hey we're relegated right now we'll pay you this much money that's what you're about like we'll figure this out like there, there's a little bit more of a like steeper slope to fall down if you're a group of five team that was power five but now you're group of five now you can't recruit as well like the talent acquisition thing i think would just be so wonky i, I think i mean in theory i see the appeal for people i see why it's like fun to talk about and i see why it would be interesting for me though it just it it would fail to make sense me nick but i guess with the expanded playoff you can make the argument hey be the group of five team that makes the playoff and you're set up better for success that way but like i don't know how conferences would work at that point i don't know how that would work with you know like let's say let's just let's dream here lsu relegated for whatever reason out of the sec in five years so they're playing group of five football are they still playing an sec schedule because if you're g5 but you still play bama and you still play auburn you still play whoever else you want to fill in the blank with there and it'd be texas and oklahoma at some point too like how do you ever climb out of that g5 like category or do you relegate lsu to like the equivalent of the mountain west i i don't know how that would work but again i think recruiting is just a, a very big reason why we won't get there anytime soon
1: okay jd we might have to agree to disagree it's so all,
0: you're. I'd love to hear more about this because you're I relegation
1: Don't look, I, I would, you wouldn't have a, an SEC schedule if you're relegated. You'd have, you know, your schedule get significantly easier, too. Um, you know, okay. the recruiting thing, it, it actually, relegation and promotion is designed to help the little guy. It gives every team an opportunity to go play in the highest level. Um, but you're, you know, I don't know. It, it probably won't work because it's been in place for so long already. Um, but if it had started originally, it would have been, I think, better than what, what it is now. Um, but in relegation, do you get a better draft positioning? You don't draft in soccer. In okay. So it's
0: all free agency.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, it's not really free agency, um, either. Um, the very, very few soccer free agent situations, um, Usually, transfers or whatever they call yeah, it. Transfers. Yeah, transfers usually in soccer will oh. sign a new contract with a year left in your existing contract Interesting. um and free transfers um are less likely huh. because it's kind of it does very little for the team who currently has a player yeah but I it's don't, a long I, conversation I don't pretend to
0: know anything about soccer uh-huh, either yeah. so i probably am like the wrong filters mm-hmm. to run this through but i would question this too when it comes to nil like I'd yeah. be curious if that's a thing for boosters. They're like, "Hey, we got relegated. I'm not giving you any more yeah. money." Or if it's a thing like, "Hey, we gotta we gotta kick this thing up. Let's put as much money as we can into it." And that's probably a whole human element that we can't even account for. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, that that's a very interesting conversation. Oh, yeah. I'd be yeah I'd be I'd be curious to hear our uh, our viewers' thoughts on that because I
1: think there's a lot to unpack with that one. Absolutely, A lot of facets, a lot of facets. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, good question, though. Uh, thank you very much. I'm a Got us talking, Timothy. Huh? Oh, no, that wasn't Timothy. Sorry. Um, who was that, JD? Who asked that question? Uh, couldn't tell you. Yeah, couldn't um, tell you, but it was a great question. I'll find it. Um, okay, it was Joshua Hinkle. Always asking yeah, great Josh. questions. Uh But yeah, good question. Um, got time for a couple more, JD? Love it, brother. Let's do it. You okay. Think two more? Yeah, we'll do Let's two do more. It. Let's do it. Um, wow. OG Gary agrees. He says, "Um, imagine a team like Tulane running the table like Lester." Man, that's a good point, but Lester did get relegated last year. Anyway, I digress. Very very few people would care about that here. Reed Shannon always asks good ones as well. Um, This is another one. With the SEC being unpredictable this year, who would you predict the winners of the East and the West to be your favorite in a dark horse? We talked about this yesterday, Reed. Um, but, J.D., you want to give a recap and then tag, obviously, those videos that are on our channel?
0: Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, you can, you can go check out our, our revised conference predictions that are on the On3 the YouTube channel right now. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a minute of it. But what I would say is we have Georgia out of the East, Bama out of the West. If you're looking for a dark horse, I think Ole Miss is the most intriguing piece of this entire conference race. So I believe if they just take care of business and run the table, well, they would have beaten Georgia if they run the table and take care of business. That's first off. You'd have to imagine they probably play Georgia a second time in the conference title game. So I'm just saying keep an eye on Ole Miss is all I'm saying when it comes to dark horses. So we like Bama and Georgia to play for the title in Atlanta, but I think Ole Miss has to have that dark horse label if you're looking at uh, that conference race.
1: Sounds good, J.D., one more. Let's do it. JD, someone just put in. Ask Nick, who is your Premier League team? I actually yeah, don't have a, a favorite team. Uh, my favorite teams in Major League Soccer, DC United, they're terrible. I just watch Premier League for fun and root against Manchester City every week. But we love um, the sport. Yeah. Oh, I, I like every single team but Man City. Interesting. That's kind of nice. That's
0: like rooting against. It's like rooting against Georgia. They've cities
1: won. They are kind of destroying (laughs) parity. They've won three in a row. Um, We'll probably win four. But uh, JD, uh, this is another kind of conference discussion. Love it. Rocky Top Tom asked JD, how how about abolishing conferences? Everyone is independent. No playoffs. Ten bowl games. Best team with the best wins after each season is named the champ. Kind of like the old days.
0: I think we're moving towards a version of that. When you (laughs) talked about less conferences, I think we're moving towards that power two model. And everybody knows that. It's not a secret, but like the Big Ten and the SEC being you know, essentially the AFC and the NFC and then putting together a big playoff, like we're moving towards the NFL model. So I don't think it'll be a thing where you do away with bowl games, but I do think we're moving closer and closer to that reality of professionalizing college football, which, I mean, if you're someone like me, who's a traditionalist, and loves what we have already in the sport and grew up with what the sport is and, and what's made it special. Like, you probably cringe a little bit at that, but at the same time, like, I'm here for all the big-time matchups. I'm here for Texas and Georgia. I'm here for, for you know, Oklahoma, Alabama when they join the SEC and, and all that when that gets there. But it's it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like moving. You, you, when you move out of your, your old house or your old apartment, you're like, I'm moving somewhere that I think is supposed to be, you know, Potentially a better situation, or so they tell us, and, and we'll see. And there's exciting parts about that, but also you're like, this place is home. This is special. This is this is what's made, you know, the the memories and the experiences I have that have all you know contributed to who I am and contributed to what we know about college football. So we're getting sentimental there, but all that's to say, I uh, I think the power two thing here is is probably due in the next. If I had to guess, 10 years. I think we're probably pretty close to that happening. But regardless, we'll talk about all of it and we'll we'll talk about it as it all as it all happens. Nick, anything else you want to say, brother, before you jump out?
1: No, but uh, Jeffrey says dude, a tie sucks in every sport. Man. He said what? A tie sucks.
0: Tie sucks in every sport. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I'm going to have to I'm going to have to side with Jeffrey there. Haven't been on my God fair share see. of ties in like little league sports. <laughs> it's always it's always such a weird feeling, you know? You're like, did we did we win? I don't know if we won today. Doesn't feel like we won. Definitely the lose, but it is what it is. But hey, next week we're back on the winning side of things. Yep, let's do it. Let's do it. Heck yeah! Appreciate you, Big Nick. Break. See you, man. That's the man, the myth, the legend, making everything that you see here happen. Heavy lifter extraordinaire. Hey, we appreciate y'all being dialed in for this show. And uh, if you tuned into our college football playoff slash conference predictions yesterday, we had Georgia three peating. So go and check that out if you haven't already. Uh, i wish i had known or wish i had seen rather that drake was wearing the the georgia nike hoodie whatever it was maybe would have changed our pick maybe not regardless we're back on the air live on tuesday 11 a.m eastern for predictions for week eight of the college football season which is wild to say but sunday morning tons of content right here we will not be live we will be cranking out A ton of videos that are reactions and thoughts and analysis on the day before. That was week seven Saturday of the college football season. Bottom line, be subscribed here so you don't miss any of it. Also, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at J.D. I'll say it one more time. Instagram is where you can find my gambling picks for the week. We have not had a losing week in a minute here. So if you want to get in on that with us, follow me there. We'll have a good time. We'll get after it. I'm J.D. Paquille. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all.